I was found myself curious as I was studying this. How many people in here have ever been a victim of theft of one sort or another? Had anything stolen from you or... Yeah, a lot. Most. Most people have. Do you remember the feeling that you had going through that experience? We've had a few different experiences where we dealt with theft. One time when we lived in Owatonna, we took the kids to the library. And when we got out of the car and we're getting all the kids out of the car and out of car seats and stuff like that, Lisa took her purse and set it on top of the car. And we, I don't even remember at what point we realized that she'd left her purse on top of the car. But anyway, when we went back out there, the purse was gone. And I just remember how vulnerable that felt. It was a really kind of an eerie feeling, kind of a creepy feeling, because you had no idea who had it. And within the purse are keys to our cars, keys to our house. There's identification, which means there's our address on it. There's credit cards. And these are back before the days of identity theft and, and that kind of stuff that can happen. So the, the risks are even greater now. One of the bigger ones that we've experienced was when we were out in Seattle several years ago. So we parked just about a block or so away from Seattle Center. That's where we always used to park when we lived there. We'd park there and go wandering around Seattle Center and then down by Pike's Place Market and down to the wharf and that kind of stuff. And and so we did that for the day. We came back up and we get about a block or two away from the car. And I'm looking, I'm saying, wow, I should be able to see the car. I got closer to the place of the van. I thought, no, I know this is where it was. And... We get right up there and we're standing on the sidewalk and you know what, there's just broken glass is the only thing there where our van had been parked and and uh, somebody came out and, and they said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, the, our van was here and now there's just broken glass. And he, I said, did you see anything? He says, no. And he just worked in one of the offices there. He said, I'll tell you what though, you better get figured out what you're going to do before dark. This is not a fun place to be after dark. Lisa and I, the two girls and Zach were the only ones with us at that time. But there we are sitting on the curb, and we called the police. And, you know, in Seattle, they got a few things to deal with there. So it took them two to three hours to get to us. You know, I just remember the feeling of sitting there on the curb, watching my kids and the struggle that they're going with. You feel personally violated. You feel like somebody has stepped into your bubble that's not welcome there. It's a really creepy thing. And I remember trying to walk through that with my kids and tell them, you know what, I would rather be the one being stolen from than the one that is desperate enough to do the stealing. Saying, look, you know what, we're sitting here on the street, but you know what, God's got this. He knows we're on this corner right now. And just being able to to try to help them through this kind of thing. You know what, that is exactly the reason why God gives us the laws and things that He does to protect us from those kinds of things. You know, if everybody followed this commandment, thou shalt not steal, we would have never felt personally violated from Lisa's purse being taken and feeling like we were in, uh, vulnerable to people that might have a, that have a keys to our house and uh, our address and everything else. We'd have never been left stuck sitting down on the street corner and feeling vulnerable and wondering what we're going to do. That's exactly why those things are put here. They're, they're there to protect us from these things. And uh, of course, there are also moral obligations also. It is just wrong to take something of somebody else's. And that brings us to really the bigger issue that's at hand here, which is what we refer to as the right to property. The right to property. And that's what, you know, I was having a discussion with somebody a while back and we were talking about government, forms of government and, you know, you have communism and socialism and capitalism and, and I was arguing that capitalism is the best. That it is there because of our history of our nation being a Christian nation. And the person I was talking to was, well, why, how do you get that? Where do you get that? I said, because I see within the Bible a right to property. 
that's part of us, the ability to be able to own those things. Socialism doesn't have that. Communism doesn't have that. If you're one of the leaders within those kind of regimes, you have that. But everybody else does not have the right to their own property. But when we look in the Bible, we see that there is a right to property. One of the places we see it is right in this command. In fact, when you look back to what, through Western civilization, you will get back to something that's called the Protestant Reformation. It's when uh, the started out with Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and these different guys within the Catholic Church uh, realized that the Catholic Church had gone far astray from where it had began with its biblical roots and they wanted to reform it. They wanted to pull it back, get back to what it's supposed to be. They were rejected and the Reformation had a huge impact on Western culture. The Reformation put an emphasis on the right to property. Calvin taught about the right to property. And the reason that they did that is because they said, if, if you don't have a right to own the things that you own, if your house isn't your house, if your car isn't your car, then thou shalt not steal doesn't make any sense. That only makes sense if you have a right to own what you own. If what is yours is really yours. And that if it's wrong for somebody else to take it away. Now, this has huge ramifications and ramifications that we have enjoyed for centuries because our nation recognized this right to property. We're going to look at the foundation, I think, first of all of this. And as we look at it, what does that rest on? First of all, as we look at the Bible, we see that there is a biblical responsibility to manage. Where did we get this right to property? What makes anything ours? And I think to do that, we've got to go right back to the very beginning into creation. Because God made man in His own image, and within that comes a responsibility and rights that we recognize as we formed our nation and our government. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, it says, "...and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth." and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Dr. Walter C. Kaiser Jr., he said this, private property is both a gift and a certain type of power that God has entrusted to humanity as stewards. It was God's intention that mortals should be equipped with this gift and power, and that under God they should exercise dominion over the earth. To exercise dominion, to take care of the place. In other words, Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden and they're going to tend the Garden of Eden. But how many people do you need to tend the Garden of Eden? So what was going to happen is as their family grew and became more and more people, they would move out from there and they would begin to spread out and they would start having their own gardens, growing their own gardens. That's exactly what we see actually even under the curse of sin. It's just harder under sin because under sin we're dealing with all the weeds and stuff that come with gardening. But not only that, we also deal with sinful people that want to come in and take away what you have occasionally. And that's why God has to put things in place such as do not steal. But by God putting us in charge to exercise dominion over the earth, that has to involve some level of ownership. Because as people would begin to spread out upon the surface of the earth, they have to be able to make decisions about the area that they're responsible for. Well, not only do we see a biblical responsibility to manage, but we also see a biblical assumption of ownership. The Bible in no place really says specifically that there is a right to property, but we see it assumed 
in Scripture. We see that assumption in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 13. He says, You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. In other words, what he has is his. And you don't have the right to go take what is his. And then he also recognizes it with the employer-employee relationship. He says, look, if you have a worker that is working for you, as they're working for you, they're earning something. Whatever they are earning is no longer yours, it's theirs. And if you don't give them what is theirs, what is due them for their wages, you are robbing them, you're stealing from them. He says, you will not do that. So you see, the Bible, when it says do not steal, it's recognizes that other people have a right to property and we don't have a right to take it or to damage it. You know, that's one of the things that I find that is amazing in a lot of the protests and things that are out there. Uh, was it a Cuomo out in New York that made a comment uh, recently? He said, who said protests should be peaceful? And I'm thinking, well, obviously it's not your house that they're destroying. Why is it okay to say you're not taking lives so it's okay to damage the property? I've heard other people say they had to do that to get your attention. I don't care how much you want somebody's attention. You're not allowed to do that. It's not yours. If you want to throw a big fit, get somebody's attention, go burn your house down. We'll notice it. I saw one thing on Facebook that kind of struck me as humorous. It said, uh, what was it? it said, due to COVID-19, we're, we're, we're asking all of the rioters to work from home, so go destroy your own stuff. Right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Is it okay if somebody comes in and destroys my home over this? Is it okay if somebody comes in and takes my life? People are always more tolerant about letting something happen to somebody else's stuff for a good cause, but that's not where we ask the question. We ask it, we apply it to ourselves. If it's not okay to do it to me, it's not okay to do it to you either. But as we look in the Bible, there's always this assumption that people's property is their property. And to take it is wrong. Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 14. It says, You shall not move your neighbor's landmark which the men of old have set in the inheritance that you will hold in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall not move the landmark. Those are how we know the property line. So if you decide, I want to, I want to do something here, I'm going to move this thing over. I remember I had a, uh, my wife's cousin one time, he was in a development, and somebody, it was a new development, they're building new houses, and there was like, they were leaving green belts so that they'd have areas where trees were left, and they were leaving areas of public park for a park for the neighborhood and that kind of stuff. And one of the landowners that moved in there, he just built this fence like 20 feet over into the park. And just basically took 20 feet. And somebody finally noticed it. And they said, uh, I don't think you can do that. And so they had him come in before him, and, and they said, well, I wanted a basketball court in my backyard, and it has to be so far from the fence. And I have a little dog that runs around in my backyard, and I wanted him to have some more gra- room of grass that wasn't all hogged up by the basketball court. So I just bumped it over 20 feet. And they said, yeah, that fence is going to have to come down. <laughs> you, you can't just move the markers like that. Why? Because that's not yours. It's somebody else's or somebody's else's, owned either individually or collectively. And so through the Bible, we see many different times that that God has said, look, uh, somebody else's property, you can't take it. It's not yours. The boundary lines that are put there for property, you can't just move it to get what you want. 
The laborer that is working for you, as soon as he starts working for you, whatever he's earned up to that moment, you owe him for that. In fact, at some points there in their harvest, they said you pay him at the end of every day they had to pay them. You owe him that. You don't even sleep on his money during the night. But God says that is his. So he recognizes ownership within people. Now, this is important. What it means is, that you should be safe. And you know what? That's In our nation, we've felt very safe for a very long time. And we should continue to do so. The things that you own, they're yours. And what this home ownership or property ownership is, is it's a prerequisite for prosperity. In order for us to do well, in order for us to grow economically, in order for us to grow as a, as a family and enjoy nicer things or more security. In order for that to take place, you have to be able to own what you own. You remember when when Weinbergs were here years ago and they were talking about their experiences in Africa? And one of their experiences in Africa was they were in a community. Their culture was that if somebody asked you for something, you gave it to them. And so you just gave it away. And they were talking about the impact of that one practice within that culture. The impact was nobody worked for anything. They were living in poverty. Now, I know that there's a lot of reasons for poverty, but this one thing had a huge impact. If there's something that I want, and I go out and work hard for it and earn it and bring it home, and my neighbor sees me bring it home and think that's a pretty neat thing, and he comes over to admire it and he asks me for it, I'm going to give it to him. So I will have just worked and put in all that effort and everything to get this new thing for my family, and it's going to be at my neighbor's house for his family instead. It devastates the community. Instead of allowing people to raise themselves up out of poverty, it it pulls everybody, it keeps everybody down within poverty. We should all be in favor of things and wanting our communities to be organized on principles that allow people to prosper, allow people to succeed. The Bible recognizes that that's a good thing. In the book of Proverbs, there's many places. In chapter 10, verse 4, it says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of diligent makes rich. In Proverbs 13, verse 4, it says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 14:23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. What it recognizes is that people have the ability to go out and work and earn and save and invest and do these different things that will prosper them financially. And he says against that is idleness. If we're idle, if we're lazy, then we stay in poverty. Why do those people that feel like they have to give everything away stay in poverty? Because they become idle. Because nothing's worth working for because somebody else is just going to take it away. Why does socialism not work? Communism not work? Because what's the incentive to work? You're not going to prosper. You're not going to rise any higher. Why? I was just talking to somebody this last week. Asked him how COVID impacted them. And he said, you know how COVID impacted me? I've got to find new workers. My workers won't come back to work. i got all kinds of work. No workers. Because we're giving them unemployment plus another 600 week on top of that to stay home. Benjamin Franklin wrote about it. Back in the day, and he said, I am for the poor as much as anybody else, but not through giving them handouts. 
give them opportunities to work their way up, to lift themselves up. Otherwise, we're going to make a lot of slothful people. He says, if you feed everybody for not going to work, then pretty soon every day is going to be a weekend and nobody's going to go to work. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 14 recognizes that not only does our property ownership impact our ability to work or the things that we get from work, but the ability to do with our possessions even when we're gone. It says, house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but the prudent wife is from the Lord. And so you have the right with your stuff to even leave it to your kids and your grandkids. In our country, we get the benefits of this, and, and sometimes I think we, we, we can end up taking it for granted if we're not careful. In the U.S. Constitution, part of the Fifth Amendment says no person shall be, and then it has a whole bunch of different things, and one of the things toward the end is deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. Very different from what we have in Marxism or communism. In fact, Karl Marx says the theory of the communists may be summed up in a single sentence, abolition of private property. Anyway, everybody's property, give it to the state. I was reading an article this week by a Peruvian economist, and he was, uh, wrote a book called Capitalism. And I might get the last part wrong, but it's like capitalism, why capitalism works in America and no, no place else for some reason. He says that though there's many different reasons for poverty around the world, he said he thinks that it's hugely impacted by this idea of property ownership the ability to own property and that other people recognize that it is your property. We just take this for granted. When you go buy a car, they sign over a title to you. You sign it too. You turn it into the state. You get a title back. And that title says this is your car. It's indisputable. It is your car. Same thing with a title on a house. Anything of of real value like that that you own, there's a piece of paper that says this is this is yours. And everybody in our society recognizes that it's yours. Not so in other places. In a lot of these third world or what we call developing countries, everybody doesn't recognize everybody else's property rights. And it keeps people down in extreme poverty. He said that he has estimated that in the undeveloped countries, the people that are living in poverty in those countries possess a combined value of $9.3 trillion worth of property. But it's not doing them any good. Why is it not doing them any good? Because nobody recognizes they don't formally own it. There's no document that says this is theirs, that they can take to the court and, and be protected if somebody comes in and tries to take it. Or some corporation tries to squeeze them out. Or, or, or the government decides they don't want them there. Which means this. They have no ability to use money. Because if you own anything, I mean, what, us, if we want a loan, what do we do? We just go down to the bank and ask for it. And they say, well, what do you have? Well, you want to use the equity in your house to cover that? You want to use your car to cover that? You, what do you want to put up for collateral? You see, if nobody recognizes that you actually own that stuff, you don't have anything to put up for collateral. So how does a guy in that kind of a place that wants to start a business to be able to take care of his family, how, what does he borrow off of? He doesn't have any possessions that they recognize that he can borrow off of to be able to lift himself up. He has nothing to build on top of and nothing to keep people from coming and taking it away if he does start to build on it. And that's what this guy found. Is he says that is the, he thinks the primary thing that's keeping people in poverty around the world is that they're not recognizing ownership of these people's places in an official way. 
In fact, he, he found this as he looked at the different countries. He said, if you're going to go own property in the Philippines, he says the procedure that you need to go through to own that property, he says it could necessitate 168 steps. Can you imagine that? I've bought property and I've bought vehicles and it doesn't take 168 steps. But if you go try to do it in the Philippines, 168 steps involving 53 public and private agencies and taking 13 to 25 years. That's what it takes to get your home declared to be your home in the Philippines. In Egypt, the person who wants to acquire and legally register a lot on state-owned desert land must work his way through at least 77 bureaucratic procedures and 31 public and private agencies. This can take anywhere from 5 to 14 years. Total time to gain lawful land in Haiti, 19 years. Yet even this ordeal will not ensure that the property remains legally theirs. Can you imagine that? 19 years. This same guy decided to start a business in Lima, Peru. They wanted to make one uh, garment shop, just a little clothes store, they were going to have one employee, one guy working the shop. And so one little store in Lima, Peru. This, this, uh, this economist put his team, and I don't know how many people were on his team, but his team worked for six hours a day trying to get this business started, getting it opened up. His team worked, every one of them, for six hours a day. It took them 289 days working six hours a day to get that business opened up. And it cost them the equivalent of three years' worth of income in Lima, Peru. Why? Because they don't have what we have. Our founding fathers, because of the influence of the Bible and the Protestant Reformation, recognizing that there's a right to property, that you can't just come and take something that is somebody else's, our forefathers put in place a right to property so that what you own, you own. That's not a luxury that the rest of the world enjoys. And it's because of a lack of that luxury that so much of the world is continues in poverty. Because why bother working for it if somebody else will just take it away? We're not designed to be lounging around, eating off of other people's labors. We're designed to be workers. We're designed to be busy building up ourselves and other people. And that leads us to the last place, which is where Christianity really starts to focus in. And that is... Not only is it a prerequisite for prosperity, it's a prerequisite for generosity. If we don't own what we own, we cannot give away what we do not possess. You cannot be generous with your stuff unless it is your stuff. My sister and I were talking one time, and my brother-in-law also, and we were talking one time about raising kids. And we were talking about, you know, as your kids start to grow up and they get gifts for Christmas and birthdays and things like that, and they end up owning things. They have their toys, their Legos, their, their different things that they, they like to play with. And we talked about how every parent goes through this. trying to You want to teach your kids to be generous. You want to teach them to share. At the same time, you recognize that sometimes when they share, other people aren't as respectful with their things, so they destroy them. They, they get broken and that kind of stuff. And so you also want to teach them to be good stewards. And we were just kind of talking about that subject and what do you do with parenting and that kind of situation. And, and one of the things that we recognize is that the kid needs to learn about ownership. And one of the things that we focused on was if there is no ownership, there also is no generosity because you have to be able to own it in order to be able to give it away. And that's exactly what we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. 
the apostle is telling the people to put off different things that are wrong to do and to put on new behaviors. Don't speak falsely. Tell the truth. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. And he says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You see, as a Christian, that's a big part of our goal. Our goal in prospering and working and doing is, is not only to enjoy life ourselves, it's also to help others. It's to try to lift other people up. It's try to help other people out. The early Christian church really caught hold of that. They were in a tough time. They were in a time of heavy persecution. People were having their, their homes taken from them, their jobs lost. They were being persecuted. They were being beaten. They were being imprisoned. And so there was a lot of hardship in Jerusalem. The believers in Jerusalem, they began to take care of one another. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And a couple verses later, it says there was not, not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Barnabas was a, was a stellar example that stood out in chapter 5. He had some land and he went and sold it, brought it to the apostles and said, here, use this to take care of, to spread out, to see who needs it. Some people have read this and said, isn't that socialism? Isn't that uh, putting everything in common? They did do that, but they did it voluntarily. What was Barnabas's property was Barnabas's property until he sold it and gave it away. And in fact, that's why he had the right to give it away, because it was his. Ananias and Sapphira, a couple we find in Acts chapter 6, comes and they go and sell some property and they keep part of it and they give part of it, which also is fine. But they came forward wanting to look like Barnabas and said, here, we sold the property for this much and we're giving it all to you. And they lost their life that day, not at the hand of the church, but at the hand of God. And why did they lose their life? As Peter told them, your property was yours. You didn't have to give it, you didn't have to sell it, you didn't have to do anything. It was yours. And even after you sold it, it was still yours. What did they die for? Because they lied to the Holy Spirit because of hypocrisy. Because they said we sold it for this, when in actuality they were keeping back part of it. They were completely within their right to keep back part of it. To keep back all of it, if they wanted to. So it's not uh, socialism. What we're seeing in the early church at that point is generosity. And so when we look at this command, and it's a simple command, do not steal, what we find biblically, why do we not steal? Because we recognize that God has given us a right to ownership. That we can own things, we can own finances, we can own properties, we can own, we can own things. That is hugely important. Because it's in recognizing our ownership of things that we act as good stewards and we fulfill our responsibility to manage things that God has put into our trust. It also is important because of the assumption of ownership within the Bible. It's because of that that is, it makes it a prerequisite. This idea of ownership is a prerequisite for any prosperity. If people can't own anything, they won't work for anything. And that's what we really need. 
You know, I think that's been a huge part of the success of economically of the presidency of Donald Trump is because he wasn't focused on programs to give to people in poverty as much as he was focused on an economy whereby they can work their way right out of it. And they can have a job and a hope and a, and a future because they can own something. They can, they can add to their wealth and they can build their family. And not only is that concept a prerequisite to prosperity, it's also a prerequisite to generosity. It is because we own things that we can give things. And you know what? We need to do both. We need to go out and work in hopes of prospering. But not just prospering ourselves. So that we will have enough to take care of our family and reach out to help others along the same way.